It must have seemed like an endless cycle to the Apostle Paul. Charges would be brought against him, hearings were held, and decisions were delayed. Yet, at every step, he had opportunities to speak, and he took advantage of each one to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ. There's much we can learn from his example. Welcome to the Wisdom Journey with Stephen Davey. We're in Acts 25 and 26 today and a lesson called Setting the Stage for Rome. Well, today on our wisdom journey, we set sail into a rather dramatic series of events in the life and ministry of, of the Apostle Paul. And we're now in Acts chapter 25 and 26. And Paul is about to stand uh, trial before two of the most influential men in this part of the world. It's going to be a reminder that behind the throne of human rulers is the sovereign throne of Almighty God. Well, the first man is Governor Festus, who arrives in Caesarea as the replacement for Governor Felix. And almost as soon as he's unpacked his bags and he's uh, set up his official office and hung his diplomas on the wall, Festus heads 55 miles south over to the city of Jerusalem. He ends up hearing from religious leaders who demand that the Apostle Paul be brought from Caesarea to Jerusalem to stand trial. And chapter 25 here informs us, though, in verse 3, it says they were planning an ambush to kill Paul on the way. Well, God moves in the governor's heart to reject that request. Festus tells these religious leaders that if they want to bring formal charges against Paul, well, they can just come up to Caesarea uh, where he wants to stay. And once Festus returns to Caesarea, now he personally listens to the charges against Paul, and, and then he's going to listen to Paul's defense. Later on, he's going to admit that he finds nothing worthy of punishment, that this is just a, a religious dispute concerning the resurrection of Jesus. And verses 18 and 19 uh, spell all that out for us. Well, now back here in verse 9, we read some of the backstory, Festus, Wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? He's a a pretty clever politician. He knows Paul hasn't done anything illegal, but he wants his approval ratings again to go up, just like everybody else in office. He doesn't want to anger the Jewish leadership at the beginning of his administration. I mean, he just finished hanging all the artwork on his office walls. He, he put the family pictures out on his desk. He doesn't want any rotten tomatoes thrown at him so soon in office. So he, he kind of you know casually suggests to Paul that, well, maybe we ought to move this religious matter to Jerusalem. Well, Paul knows that that would be a death sentence. He knows the Sanhedrin isn't going to change their mind, and he already knows there are plots out there to ambush him and kill him. Governor Festus can't provide protection from these hired assassins. And so here in verse 11, Paul simply says to Governor Festus, I appeal to Caesar. See, as a Roman citizen, Paul has the right to appeal his case directly to the emperor. 
Now, what this means is that the current proceedings are going to come to an immediate halt, that Paul will soon be sent to Rome for a trial and a final verdict. But don't miss this here. The Lord is directing these events so that his promise to Paul is going to be fulfilled, a promise he made back in chapter 23 of Acts in verse 11, where Jesus told Paul, as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Well, Paul's not out of the hot seat just yet. Some unexpected people happen to arrive in Caesarea. King Herod Agrippa II and his sister Bernice. Now, this king is the son of Herod Agrippa I. That's the king who executed the Apostle James back in chapter 12. So he's the great grandson of Herod the Great. That Herod had all the children of Bethlehem massacred in an effort to kill the Messiah. Well, Herod Agrippa II comes from a family, you could say the devil is used to try and murder the Messiah and also stamp out the early church. And and this one here, well, he's just like his father. He's just like his grandfather. He's interested only in power and prestige. He's also immoral. It's public knowledge. He's actually living with his sister Bernice in an incestuous relationship. Well, after Agrippa and Bernice arrive, Governor Festus tells them here in verses 13 all the way to verse 21, everything that's happened to Paul, and Festus asks for advice. Yes, he's going to fulfill Paul's request to stand trial in Rome, but Festus isn't sure what he should write to the emperor about Paul. So Agrippa volunteers essentially saying, look, let me, let me hear from Paul first, and then I'll give you my, my opinion. So the following day, Verse 23 says, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. These are all the the power players in this part of the world. These are the celebrities. These are the, the, the dignitaries of the political and military world. But Paul knows who's really in charge here. I mean, these might be all the VIPs, the rulers, but God overrules the rulers. God's in charge here. And with that, we're now brought to Acts chapter 26, and this is where Paul presents his defense. He starts out, as as usual, giving his own testimony, and he describes his past. He says here in verse 5, according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Paul is saying, in other words, I have followed the law. I have believed the scriptures which teach the resurrection of the dead. So this central charge against me is a false charge. Paul then goes on to recount here his persecution of Jesus' followers. In verse 11, he says, I punished them often in all the synagogues. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Well, with that, here in verses 12 through 18, Paul once again describes his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. He repeats the assignment that he was given from the Lord. He gives that here in verse 17. The Lord says, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is a a brilliant defense here, beloved. Paul is actually giving the gospel to the king, his sister, and this audience of influential people. He's saying we're all sinners, and if we want to be forgiven, there's only one way, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul continues his defense, and and let me tell you, he's preaching quite a sermon to this audience of, of power players. He says here in verse 22, I am saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ, that is the Messiah, must suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. The governor interrupts him here in verse 24, saying, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. Now, I've never had anybody interrupt one of my sermons hollering out that I'm out of my mind. They're usually kind enough to wait until after the sermon. Well, Paul counters here in verse 25 that he's speaking true and rational words. Then he expresses his belief that Agrippa, who's well-versed in Judaism, understands that his message is consistent with the Scriptures. Here in verse 27, Paul directly addresses the king, saying, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Essentially, Paul is saying to him, I know you respect the prophets. And the prophets spoke of this coming Messiah. He's changed my life. He can change your life as well. Agrippa responds here in verse 28, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Some take Agrippa's reply, suggesting Paul is almost successful in persuading him to follow Christ. I believe he's actually saying something rather mockingly, something like, Paul, do you really think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Well, with that, this hearing is over. And here in the final verses of chapter 26, Agrippa and Festus agree together behind closed doors that Paul is innocent. Paul ought to be released. But since he's, he's appealed to Caesar, well, they have to send him to Caesar there in the capital city of Rome. Again, let me tell you, beloved, Paul's example here is worth imitating. Paul isn't intimidated by all the pomp and circumstances of these powerful people. He knows he belongs to the all-powerful king of glory. So he consistently and boldly proclaims the truth. And the truth includes the fact that Jesus is alive. And by the way, Paul really does nothing more than what you and I do today, or we can do today. Let's just tell people about, well, that time when we came to faith in Christ, and how Jesus has changed our lives, and that Jesus can change their lives as well. Well, until we set sail again, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You're listening to The Wisdom Journey, and Stephen called today's lesson, Setting the Stage for Rome. In addition to this daily teaching series, Stephen has dozens of additional resources. 
One of those is a monthly magazine. Stephen deals with a different topic each month and helps you better understand what the Bible says and how it applies directly to your life. For example, some past issues have answered questions such as, Is hell real? How did the universe come into existence? Why does God allow evil and suffering in the world? The magazine also features a daily devotional. It's called Heart to Heart Magazine, and it's not available by subscription. It's a gift that Stephen sends to our wisdom partners, but we'd like to send you the next three issues as a gift to you. To get signed up, visit wisdomonline.org forward slash magazine. Do that today, then join us back here next time to continue traveling along the wisdom journey.